Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! Hey there, this week we are talking about conversations with our friends that may or may not be Christians. Um, Specifically, this question this week is from Dawn, and uh, she asks in part, she says, uh, on more than one occasion, Catholic acquaintances have shared the hope of redeeming themselves before death. I'm not sure how to respond to that, but I want to. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we are to redeem ourselves, and Don says quite opposite, but it's only that only God that can provide such grace. And then Don wonders, is the Catholic Bible that much different? Uh, she wants to be able to share the, the good news, the hope that we have in Christ, but she doesn't want to seem unfair and doesn't want to be ignorant in her conversation about what uh, her Catholic friends may or may not believe. So great question, Don. And I have personally learned that there, uh, it can it de- really it can depend on uh, with with Catholicism how how they were raised, right, and what Catholic tradition and who their priest was, who their deacons were. Uh, I've learned that that can have uh, a a big role or it can play a big role in shaping their Catholic faith. Because um, I used to think that if a Catholic was a Catholic was a Catholic. But since moving to New England, I've gotten to know a lot of Catholics here, or even former Catholics, and begun to really understand that it does have a lot to do with, again, that the priest or the deacons that were there, the leadership that were there, a part of that church, maybe even speakers that they listen to, and how they approach it. I've heard some Catholic priests and teachers that are incredibly grace-filled, uh, and they, they 100% un- understand what Jesus Christ did for them and see these other things that uh, that go along with the Catholic faith that uh, are things really to to celebrate and to worship, um, but they don't necessarily see themselves as uh, salvific or redeeming them. And so that's been interesting for me as well. And so it might be interesting to um, for those of you that are watching, if maybe you are Catholic or have a Catholic background or uh, are just in conversations with Catholics, to just think about that, to ask that if you're not a Catholic, maybe if you have some Catholic friends, like, well, hey, how are, how are you raised? Uh, how are you taught about the grace of, of Jesus and about some other things just, you know, with um, having to do sacraments? Like, is that a part of worship or is that, you know, part of your salvation? How, how does all that stuff work? Because I, I just, I think being curious <laughs> and asking questions is always a good thing because it just, it's usually you have to start from a place of humility if you are genuine in your questions and if you really do want to know the answers. Um, but I just, again, I've learned through lots of conversations with Catholics, former Catholics, that uh, it's not as clear cut as I always thought it was. So just trying to find context for your conversations first, I think is good. But I do, Don mentioned um, what the Bible says about God's grace. And so I do want to share in this post what the Bible does say. Now, the again, the tension can be, and what I've been told by some Catholic friends of mine, is that the church existed before the Bible did. Now, what they mean by that is that Jesus said, 
in scripture that he was going to build his church and he was going to start with Peter. So technically speaking, the church existed, right? The church existed because Jesus started it with Peter before they began to write scripture down. And it's like, okay, valid point. But the scripture we do have is from those people that he started the church with. So I don't want to put tradition that developed way after the apostles over top of what the apostles themselves said. So as a point of clarification, what is an apostle? So some people believe that apostles still exist today. I tend to think that uh, that's a church office that doesn't exist. I'm not 100% against the idea of apostleship still today. I'm just a little leery because what that usually means for people is that they speak directly for God. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know about that. But an apostle in the Bible, at least, was somebody that actually spent time under the teaching of Jesus. So the 12 uh, disciples minus Judas and then adding Matthias, they become the apostles. So the disciples, even before before the gospels are done, you have them being referred to as the, the apostles, right? And then in the book of Acts, the apostles. And then the apostle Paul, of course, if you're familiar with him, um, and he he gets that title mostly because of his experience with Jesus, right? The road to Damascus and the teaching that he received. And as you see in second Corinthians, like God communicating things directly to him, you know, not as a prophet, but as an apostle. So these are the ones that are going to start Christianity. That's how I see the biblical framework for an apostle is these guys are going to start churches. They're going to, you know, be a part of starting whole movements in areas. That's what I see as an apostle in the Bible. So, um, those guys are the ones that wrote scripture down. And so to put, again, to put church tradition, which came way later, uh, over top of what these guys that were with Jesus, uh, or even related to Jesus, like his brother James or Jude even, um, I don't, I don't want to be too quick to do that. So, but that's an understanding you have to have if you're having conversations with Catholics is that is really important. Church tradition is huge for them. And a lot of what they do today is based on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of church tradition, right? And now those traditions did change over time. They were added to over time. There's been a lot of change in the Catholic church over history, of course, but the things that they're doing are coming from a, a long tradition, a long faith tradition, right? So don't necessarily just sidestep uh, church tradition. Don't necessarily just uh, belittle somebody that has a Catholic faith and they believe in certain things that maybe you don't if you're not Catholic. Um, but just, again, ask questions. I think that's cool. Consider like, okay, why do you do these things? Uh, why do you believe that? Why do you believe in transubstantiation, you know, that the body and blood of Christ or like literally what you're taking, you know, is that a part of worship for you? Like, how does that draw you closer to God, that belief, you know, and, or any other things that you might be talking with a Catholic friend about, like, how does that draw you closer to God and be genuine in that? Not how's that, how's that even draw you closer to God? Like that's, that's not helpful, right? That's the culture we live in, but not helpful. Um, but just understanding a lot of these nuances and, and where they come from. And that I do think that, as a Protestant, right, as an evangelical, I I hate to even use those terms, but as a non-Catholic, I guess, uh, Christian, I want to, I do want to still look to our past, right? There, there's like a ton of rich theological thinking that's been done for thousands of years, right? A couple thousands of years. 
And I think in a way that like the Catholic Church is more appreciative of that than our Protestants sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Um, but when we're, when we're approaching it from, can I earn my salvation that for, I do again, having conversations with Catholics, that is a big part of how they see the things that they're doing, that, that it is in a sense kind of earning their salvation. And, and some have said, yeah, straight up, like that's, this is what this is. This is me paying penance. This is me doing X, Y, or Z. And this is going to result in, you know, uh, shorter time in purgatory, or it's going to result in, you know, this, that, or the other. And they definitely unequivocally say, yeah, this is a part of my salvation process where the others are saying, no, 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 this is just part of my faith. And again, that's why I think that you were with, when you're having with having conversations with the Catholic friends, if you're a Protestant or you know evangelical or, or non-Catholic of some sort, ask questions. Why do you do those things, right? And just see where that goes. But what does the Bible say? Like, what does, um, like, what do we hear from people that were with Jesus? So, I want to take you first to the Gospel of John, a hugely important Gospel here, because John was one of Jesus' best friends. Okay, so you had Peter, James, and John, and Peter was probably the like Jesus' best friend, if you could say. John was right there, uh, and then James. But those were his three like, inner circle guys that he just seemed to really invest in the most. So coming from John, again, who's one of his best friends, one of Jesus' best friends, what does he say about salvation? So in John chapter one, if you have your Bible, you can go there. In John chapter one, verses 12 and 13, it, G, John just got done with this amazing introduction to who Jesus is, he connects him right to creation, connects Jesus right to God, uh, literally says Jesus is God, which is the one of the, not the point, but one of the major points of the gospel of John is the divinity of Christ. Uh, and then so right after all that, John starts to talk about salvation. And so here's what he says in verse 12 and 13. He says, but all who did receive him, Jesus, he, Jesus, gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name, comma, verse 13, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. So salvation itself is something that is bestowed on us, right? That being adopted, as Galatians chapter 4 would say, the Apostle Paul would say, Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5, if you want to look that up, it says, just at the right time, Jesus came, born of a woman, subject to the law, and he did that. He was born into that, into that space. Ultimately, at the end of that verse, he says, so that we could become children of God. We could be heirs of God. So, not errors, but heirs, as in H-E-I-R-S, as in like, you know, we are now part of the family. Um, it's something he did. He came so that we could be, like it says here in John, children of God. So that our relationship with God could change. We go from being creatures, creations of God, to now children of God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But all of that, we're not born of natural descent. We're not born of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. All right, so salvation, that, that relationship change is something that, that God has to do. It can't come from us. More specifically, and this is one that probably, if you're familiar with scripture, you know this one a little bit better. It's from a book of Ephesians, a little bit later in the New Testament, and it's written by the Apostle Paul. 
who I mentioned earlier. Now, Paul, again, somebody that experienced Jesus face-to-face, had this incredible experience on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts, and it changed everything for Paul. And it changed literally the landscape of not only that time, but a good argument, historical argument could be made that the reason Christianity was so prominent in America was because of the Apostle Paul, right? He went instead, instead of going to Asia, he went to Europe. And so that, I mean, that literally changed history because, of course, Asia is not predominantly Christian today, whereas Europe and then even down into Africa and North America is, right? There's still like a huge base for that, even to this day, 2,000 years later, all because God said, no, I want you to go west instead of east. Something interesting to think about. So what did that guy What did the Apostle Paul say about redeeming ourselves or earning salvation? One of the most famous verses for that, again, comes out of the book of Ephesians. He's the Apostle Paul writing to churches in Ephesus, right, in this area. And he says this in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith. Not your works, but grace through faith. Like, Like John said earlier, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. So specifically, you are saved by grace through your faith in who Jesus Christ is and what he did for you. And it's a gift from God, verse 8 says. It's not from works, verse 9 says, so that no one can boast. And then verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do, right? So like the whole process, like salvation, what he does, like that, that's bringing in Ephesians 2 also says that we, we were transferred from the domain of darkness or death to the domain of light and life. Like that's something that God had to do for us and we're, we get to be a part of that because he says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared for us from ahead of time to do. Like we get to be a part of that process of other people coming to know Christ, but ultimately our salvation, that's a work, a mysterious work that he has to do. He has to be the one that ultimately redeems us. Now, another verse that is, again, very popular in this conversation is from Romans chapter 10. And it talks about um, like, well, how do you actually know you're saved? Right? This verse is kind of the capstone verse or verses for the Romans road, but it addresses the idea or the question of like, oh, well, how do I actually get saved? Like, what do I need to do to become a Christian? And Paul lays it out really clearly here. He says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13, I'll read the whole section to you just so you can kind of get the whole context and flavor. So he says, what, is, what does scripture say? Um, actually, I'm starting in verse 8. Sorry. So what does scripture say? The message is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. So Paul's going to lay it out clearly. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, so my life is now under his lordship, right? He's in charge, so it's like you recognizing that, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's by believing what Christ did in his life, in his ministry, death, burial, resurrection, you know, understanding that God did actually raise him from the dead to pay for your sin, to restore your relationship with God, and then placing him as Lord of your life. Like, you know, like, okay, now you're in charge, God. 
like it, it's this transfer of ownership of your life, right? Is essentially what Paul is saying. And then in verse 10, he says, one believes with a heart resulting in righteousness or being made right with God. And one confesses with a mouth resulting in salvation, right? So again, like Paul said in Ephesians 2, it's not a workspace thing. It's a trust thing. It's a, it's a faith-based thing. And then he says in verses 11 and following, he says, for the scriptures say, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Again, it's about belief. Since verse 12, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. And then verse 13, I love this one. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? We don't have to worry about trying to earn it because God freely gives it based on faith, based on belief, right? Based on, and then of course, the important part is I'm going to put my life under his lordship now. Jesus is in charge, not just, oh Lord, I believe that you raised from the dead, so I don't have to go to hell. Mm -mm. It's a transfer of ownership, right? That's what being a Christian is. I give you my life. I put my trust and my faith in you and who you are and what you did, right? And then a little bit later, now let's look at um, what James said. So James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. So you can imagine James probably gleaned some things in his time on earth from Jesus. And then there, especially at the end of Jesus' life, and uh, James went from being a potentially a scoffing doubter who didn't believe because it says his brothers didn't believe in him and they actually made fun of him at one point in Jesus' ministry. And to end up going from that to now Jesus, after the resurrection, goes specifically looking for James to show him what's going on. It's like, I just, I love that in Jesus that he, he went specifically for his brother James to say, hey, look, I'm the real deal. So James goes on to be a leader in the church in Jerusalem. He's a very, very influential figure in the early church, in early Christianity, right? In the years, in the moments after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Here's James, his half, a formerly doubting and maybe scoffing brother. Here's him stepping forward and being a leader in the early church. And so here's what he says about works and about faith. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sister? And I'm in James, I'm sorry, I'm in James chapter 2, um, verse 14. And he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? So let me read that again to you. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? And what James is doing here is he's saying, look, you can't say that you have faith and no evidence of that faith. That faith won't save that person because it's not really faith in Christ at all, is it? If there's no outworking of that faith, James is saying there probably isn't really a faith, right? Because our, as a Christian, I want you to hear this, as a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, you cannot merely have a system of belief it was never intent to be, intended to be just a, a system of belief, of knowledge, right? It was a, a, a system, a religion that was an outworking of faith and belief, right? I do because of what I believe, you know? Like not just I believe, but no, I believe in that, man, that just causes all this doing 
in my life, outworking of my faith. Now, what he says, though, a little bit later in, in verse 18, he says this, but someone will say, well, look, you have your faith and I have my works. And then James' response to that is he says, look, show me your faith without works and I'll show you faith by my works. Again, this outworking, right? So there, there is no just works. There is no just faith, right? There have to be, like James says, I will show you faith by my works. Both and have to be there, right? And our works don't save us. That's the cool thing. Our works don't save us. They're just an outworking of what we believe. What saves us, what redeems us, what makes us right with God is the fact that Jesus Christ actually went to the cross, actually died, dead, gone, and then actually came back, resurrected. And that's the mystery, right? During that time, he pays for our sin, makes us right with God. And like Paul repeatedly says, it's by putting our faith in that sacrifice and in the victory of Jesus that I get to be a victor, that I get to be victorious. And then everything I else, everything else I do after that is merely just an outworking of my gratitude and my faith, right? That's what's cool. And that's what I think the beauty of what the apostles and those that were with Jesus, the beauty of what they show us is that, no, you don't have to earn this. That's Old Testament Judaism. You don't have to do that anymore. That's the book of Hebrews, right? Christ did that once and for all, right? That's what, like, that's the message over and over in the book of Hebrews, that Christ died once for all. The apostle Peter says that as well. First Peter 3, once and for all, right? So there's so many places where these men that were with Jesus and heard Jesus clearly, they are clearly saying to us that Jesus, he is the one that once and for all made the sacrifice. He did the work for us because we were completely incapable of doing the work of redeeming ourselves, right? I've always said before that you can't, because the picture that I have of trying to earn my own salvation is if I break a plate, I can't stack up that broken plate pieced together with a bunch of other broken plates that I've pieced together to somehow make a perfect plate. I'll never be able to do it. They're all going to be imperfect. No matter how well I glue them together, there's going to be those lines. There's going to be the fact that it actually is broken. It'll never be perfect. So any works I would try to do to redeem myself are not going to work. And what that ends up looking like is in the book of Revelation, if you look at the great white throne judgment, you'll see that those that did not have the, like the, the relationship with Jesus Christ, they did not have salvation through him, what happens? They were going to be judged on their works because that's all they're going to have. And the clear message in Revelation and the great white throne judgment. So read like, just get a good flavor. Read like Revelation 19 through 22 and just see how all those things unfold in the end and all the judgments and everything in 21 that happen. And you're going to see that without Jesus Christ, without the blood of the lamb, all you have is your imperfect works to try to make you right with God. And it won't work. So you have a whole canon of New Testament scripture of guys that were with Jesus hearing his message saying, look, you can't earn it. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. It's by faith, right? It's because of what Jesus Christ did. And then in the book of Revelation, 
you have the picture. You literally have the picture of what happens if you don't put your faith solely in Jesus Christ and you try to earn your salvation or redeem yourself, make yourself right with God. All you're going to have is those works and they're not going to be enough. So that is the stark picture, but it's also, I think, a picture of like, man, if I believe in God and I do want to spend eternity with him and I do want to have him in my life now, gosh, I don't have to earn that. I just put my faith in him and give my life to him. I turn control over to him, my creator. Man, that's a breath of fresh air for me, man, that I don't have to earn it, that my good works are just a result of my growing faith in Jesus and my gratitude in Jesus. Man, that's a beautiful picture we get from the New Testament. So hopefully that's helped. Um, You know, I just wanted to give some context to have better conversations, hopefully asking good questions, asking why that blesses people, the things that they believe, the things they do, and then just trying to ask them questions again about like, what does scripture say? And who was it written by? And uh, how was it preserved all these years? Right? I mean, that's, these are good questions. And what does it say? Like, what are the people that were actually with Jesus Christ have to say about these really big existential questions? Right? Um, But again, as always, Every week, uh, we hope this kind of stuff is helpful. We hope it uh, draws you closer to Jesus and maybe even helps you have better conversations about this kind of stuff. Uh, if you you know if you want things addressed or if you have questions of your own, we'd love for you to comment, send them send them to us, uh, like this stuff, share this stuff if it was helpful because we really do want to get the message of Jesus Christ out. We want to share the hope of Christ, not just in our area but wherever this might go. So again, hopefully this was helpful. Hopefully it blessed you. Hopefully it helps you draw closer to Jesus and and have better faith questions because they're important questions to have. Uh, And I think that Jesus is the best answer for those things that are just like, ah, right, gnawing us up inside. But until next time, God bless, and I hope you have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.